Hello and welcome to Weathering the Storm, a podcast to help us weather the storms of life by sustaining an unwavering faith in God. I'm your host, Drew Suttles, and I thank you so much for taking some time out to spend with me today. This is episode 13 of season one of Weathering the Storm. I thank you for your support and your encouragement. Most of all, I thank you for your prayers and this effort, and it is my goal to glorify God through this avenue of a podcast, and I hope that I have been able to help you in some way weather the various storms that we face in this life. Today, we continue our series on weathering the storm of religious confusion as we discuss part two of our study, the one church of the New Testament. Last episode, we discussed the fact that much of the religious confusion that exists in this world is because of a lack of respect for Bible authority. We examine how we need to appreciate authority, ask questions, and approach the scriptures with humility that we may be able to weather the storm of confusion. And so now that we move on and we've established that we must have authority for what we do, Colossians 3.17, a host of other passages, knowing that God and His Word authorizes, we want to think about the one church we find in the Scriptures as opposed to the thousands of religious organizations that are in existence today. Last week we looked at that staggering figure of 33,000 denominations present in today's world. Friends, there is only one church. You know, this statement has caused many to be outraged. My own family members have stormed off as we have this study. And even though it causes emotions to fly high, and, and even though several people get upset with this, it does not change what the Bible says. It does not change that there's only one church found in the New Testament. You know, in today's world we hear one is as good as another. One church is as good as another. It doesn't matter where you go, just as long as you go somewhere. We're all going to the same place. We're just doing it in different ways, taking different paths. God will be pleased as, as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter where you go. Friends, I want to begin this episode by asking you a question. And depending on how you answer this question will determine whether or not this episode will be beneficial for you. If you answer no to this question, this episode may not be helpful. But if you honestly and sincerely answer yes, I believe this episode will help you weather the storm of religious confusion that you may be going through right now. Are you willing to let the Bible decide if one church is as good as another? Are you willing to let the Bible decide if there is really only one true church? Or if there are all these thousand churches, they're all right in their own way? Again, if you answer no to that question, this may not be helpful. But if you answer yes, you want, you want to allow God's Word to do the work. You want to trust in what God has said through His Word. Then please, join me with an open Bible and open mind as we examine the one true church that we find in the New Testament. Jesus only promised to build one church. That's what we find in Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build my 
church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Again, that's Matthew sixteen eighteen. Now notice, Jesus is the one speaking, and he said, I will build. That's a promise. Jesus, when he makes a promise, he keeps it, doesn't he? God cannot lie, Titus 1, 2. It's impossible for him to lie, Hebrews six eighteen. And so knowing that Jesus made this promise, we can know that it's going to happen. He said, I will build, now notice, my, who's the church belong to? It belongs to Jesus. I will build my church, singular. Notice he did not say, I will build my churches. No, Jesus promised to build only one church. We find in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, that the church is the body. The body is the church. They're synonymous terms. And that Jesus only has one body. He is the head of the body, the church, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Jesus is the head of only one body, Colossians 1, 18. Jesus is the Savior of the one body, Ephesians 5, 23. Jesus only has one bride, Ephesians 5, 25. And dear friends, on the day of Pentecost, as recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, we only find one church. You may recall that the Apostle Peter was preaching the gospel, uh, the first gospel sermon in its entirety. And when the Jews heard this, they were pricked in the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he continued and, and exhorted them and testified with many of the words, saying, save yourself from this untoward, this perverse generation. And in verse 41, we read this. And about 3,000 souls gladly received the word and were baptized. And so they obeyed the gospel of Christ. And then you look at Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now let me ask you something. How many churches do we read about there in Acts chapter 2? Do we read that they were added to churches? Or that they were added to one church? If we were to go back to the day of Pentecost and interview those uh, in the city of Jerusalem that day and said, hey, what, what church are you do you go to? Of what church are you a member? What would they say? They may look at us a little bit, a little bit puzzled. What do you mean what church? There's only one. And friends, I'm suggesting to you today that when someone obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ, he or she is added to that one church that we read about in Acts chapter 2. That is the one church of the New Testament. Again, if you answered yes, you're willing to let the Bible decide. Let's continue with an open Bible to see that there is only one church. And hopefully this will help us weather the storm of religious confusion. With all the many, many churches that are in existence today, these organizations that claim to be uh, true Christian organizations, do they line up with the church we find in the Bible? In the first place, notice with me that the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus, the church that he promised to build, the church that he purchased with his own blood, Acts 20 and verse 28, had a scriptural place of beginning. The church began in the city of Jerusalem. Now this was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. In the last days it shall come to pass that the Lord's house will be established in the mountains and be exalted above the hills. And then we read that from the, the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. There's the place. In Joel chapter 2, 
Joel 2, 28 through 32, we have this uh, referenced about coming in the last days, and it will be in the city of Jerusalem. It's interesting that the Apostle Peter quoted from Joel, didn't he? Acts 2 and verse 16. This is that, what the prophet Joel spoke of. And so both Isaiah and Joel prophesied that the kingdom will be established in the city of Jerusalem. You know, Jesus told his disciples, Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Luke 24, 49. We find in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, You will be witnesses unto me beginning in Jerusalem and into Judea and into Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And so again, we have this common theme that the church would be established in the city of Jerusalem. Now, when you open up to Acts chapter 2, where are they? No doubt they're in the city of Jerusalem. And so friend, if the church that you attend, the church that you are a member of, did not begin in the city of Jerusalem, it is not the church that we find in the scriptures. And so the church of our Lord, the church of Jesus Christ, had a scriptural place of beginning. But it also had a scriptural time of beginning. Notice again from Isaiah chapter 2 and, and Joel 2, you can also throw in Daniel chapter 2. If you can remember the number 2, uh, it will certainly help. Isaiah 2, Joel 2, Daniel 2, and Acts 2. Those are Pentecost pointers that will help you to remember about the church and being established. And so in the last days, the church will be established. In the days of these kings, Daniel 2, 44. Who is Daniel referring to? He's referring to the Roman Empire. We know that from the context of Daniel chapter 2. You remember the image that he saw? And you remember the four world empires that were discussed there in that passage? You had Babylon, you had Medo-Persia, you had Greece, and then you had Rome. And in the days of these kings, in the days of the Roman Empire, the church would be established. And then Jesus, speaking to a crowd, said, There are those of you who will not taste of death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. Mark 9.1 And so, friends, we know the church was established in the lifetime of those who Jesus was speaking to. And so the church was established on the day of Pentecost, around A.D. 33. So friends, I ask you again, the church that you attend, the church that you're a member of, did it begin in A.D. 33? Does it have a scriptural time of beginning? And I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you really to look up the history of the church that you attend and say, when did this church begin? and compare it to the church that began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We've noticed that the church of Christ, the church of the scriptures, had a scriptural place of beginning, a scriptural time of beginning. Let's also notice that it has a scriptural organization. Friends, I'm saddened when I hear of all these different terms used as far as the church being organized in the religious world, bishops and archbishops and Cardinals, and then we have a one-man pastor system. You know, we don't find that in the New Testament. In fact, when you read about a pastor, it's pastors, plural. It's the idea of elders, overseers, shepherds. It was not God's intention for one man to shepherd the flock, but rather a plurality of qualified men. We read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. There are the qualifications of elders. But you know, we read in Acts 14, 23, that there were to be elders in every church. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, there were to be elders in every city. 
And so in every congregation of the Lord's church, there are to be a plurality of men, qualified men, serving as elders or shepherds or overseers, bishops, presbyters, pastors. Those six terms all refer to that same work, the office of a bishop, an elder. There are to be elders, a plurality of men, serving as elders if the church is to be organized properly. We also read about deacons, 1 Timothy chapter 3, also beginning in, and there in verse 8. And so if you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll see both the qualifications for elders and deacons. And then it is organized with members called Christians. Not called some man-made name, but called Christians. They were called Christians first at Antioch, Acts 11, 26. And to see all of this come together beautifully, notice Philippians 1, 1. Philippians 1, 1, Paul says, To the saints and faithful brethren in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And there we have a scripturally organized congregation of God's people. The church, the called out, the ecclesia, called out of the world and into Christ by the gospel, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, had a scriptural place of beginning. She had a scriptural time of beginning. She is scripturally organized. But here's a fourth point I'd like to bring out. The church of the scriptures is involved and engaged in scriptural worship. God is spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and and in truth, John four twenty four. We think about the acts of worship that are authorized in the New Testament, and there are five. We are to sing, Ephesians five nineteen, Colossians three sixteen. Not sing and play, not sing and accompany that with a mechanical instrument. That's a man made addition to what God has revealed. God specified singing. And we have no right to add or take away from that command. And so we are to sing when we worship God. Then we are to pray. We have the example of the early church, Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in prayers. We are to partake of the Lord's Supper. We do this every first day of every week. Jesus established it, Matthew 26, 26-29. The Apostle Paul reminded the brethren in Corinth of what he had received and what he delivered unto them, that they were to remember the sacrifice of Jesus by partaking of the unleavened bread representing his body, the fruit of the vine representing his blood, 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23. We also have the example of the early church, these disciples who met on the first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper, Acts 20 and verse 7. So we are to sing, we are to pray, we are to partake of the Lord's Supper, we are to give as we have been prospered, laying by in store, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. That rules out tithing, that rules out giving a pledge for how much you're going to give that year. That's not biblical, that's man-made. We find in the New Testament that we are to give on the first day of the week, laying by in store. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. And then finally, the word is to be Preach. The word is to be proclaimed, 2 Timothy 4.2. And so you piece those five acts of worship together. That is scriptural worship, worship that is given to God in spirit and in truth, singing, praying, partaking of a Lord's Supper, giving, and preaching the word. This is to be done every first day of every week on the Lord's Day if it's going to be pleasing to God. So I ask you again, the church that you're a member of, the church that you attend, do you engage in spiritual Worship, scriptural worship that is done in spirit and in truth. 
Friends, finally, as we think about the church of Christ, the church that belongs to Jesus, the Lord's body, the Lord's bride, we've noticed that she had a scriptural place of beginning, a scriptural time of beginning, scriptural organization, and is engaged in scriptural worship. But finally, she wears a scriptural name. There are so many different names for religious groups today. But what name glorifies Christ better than his own name? His name is on the deed, is it not? He purchased the church with his own blood. Acts 20, 28. And friends, we know from the scriptures that the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 23. My wife's name is Brittany, formerly Brittany Palmer. But when we were married, she took my last name. She wears my last name. Now, it would be totally inappropriate for her to wear someone else's last name, wouldn't it? Friends, think about that with the Lord's church. The church of Jesus Christ wears his name. And so it is certainly scriptural to refer to her as the church of Christ. That is not a title, but a description of God's people. The Lord's church, the church of God, the faithful brethren, the saints, the Lord's body, the church of the firstborn, the assembly of the firstborn. All of these are scriptural names to describe God's people. Those who have been called out of the world and into Christ by obedience to the gospel. Because those who are in Christ have been added by the Lord to the church that belongs to Him. The churches of Christ salute you. Romans 16, 16. Friend, I lovingly ask you to to look at the church you go to, the church that you're a member of, and ask yourself, does that line up with what I find in the New Testament? Does the church that you attend fit that description? Was it established by man? Or was it established by Christ? Do some history, do some research and say, when was the this church established? Who established this church? When was it established? And contrast that with what you find in the Bible. Did the church that you attend begin in the city of Jerusalem? It began in AD 33. Is it organized the way that we find the Lord's churches to be organized? Do you worship in spirit and in truth the way that the scriptures teach? Does it wear a scriptural name? As we close, we know that Jesus is the head of the body, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. That he is the savior of the body, Ephesians 5, 23. And that he only has one bride, Ephesians 5, 22. And friends, if we want to be saved and go to heaven, we need to be in the one body because Jesus is coming back for his bride. And I encourage you to read the entirety of Ephesians chapter 5 that brings that truth home. Are you in Christ? You know, the world has a many definitions or many ways that you can determine that, but the Bible has one. Are you in Christ? Christ. If you have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, then you have been translated into the kingdom. Colossians 1.13. You are a member of the Lord's church because the Lord is the one who does the adding. Man does not determine that. It's not determined by a vote. It's not determined by a majority rule. When you obey the gospel of Christ, you're added to the body of Christ where you receive the blessings that are found in Christ. Ephesians 1.3. I hope that this has been beneficial for you. I hope that 
You have noticed that this was not about me. It's not about my words. I'm not asking you to leave your denomination and come join mine because the Lord's Church is not a denomination. It was not made by man. It's not a division. It is the one church that we find in the New Testament. I wanted God's word to have more say in this than, than mine. And I hope that we've been able to notice the scriptures and the power of the word of God. And, and I hope that you will go and investigate these for yourself. But next week, Lord willing, we will conclude this series on weathering the storm of religious confusion as we ask the most important question a man or woman could ever ask, what must I do to be saved? And to find the answer, just like we did today, we're going to go to the source. We're going to go to the Word of God to find the right answer. I hope that you will join me next week as we close out season one of Weathering the Storm. As we close out this series, we've noticed the authority of God's Word We've noticed the one true church. And next week we'll close with noticing salvation. I'd like to close this episode yet again with John 8, 31 and 32, the words of Jesus. If you continue in my word, then shall you be my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. God bless you, my friend, as you weather the storm.